0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: And we are back, folks, another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider, and please to finally bring it to video, finally bring it to the YouTube channel, bring the Basketball Insider to the people a guy who wore the uniform at Michigan as a standout player, first round draft pick, longtime NBA player and since then one of the best basketball commentators in the land. My friend Tim McCormick,
0: Tim, how are you? I'm good, Sam. Sam, do you think we have something to talk about today? <laughs> I do, we've Tim. Got, we've got about 10 different topics to cover and and um uh, we'll, we'll do it right.
1: Yeah, no no question, man, and it's it goes without saying that you were one of the first people I thought about after uh, after the post-game fracas, if you want to call it that, uh, with Wisconsin, obviously punishments have been doled out. Jawan's being the most severe for throwing a blow—five games, the rest of the regular season. Just your reaction to, you know, what what took place after the game uh, and the punishments
0: that followed therein. Well first of all, when the story came out, Sam. I didn't say anything on social media. Uh, I, I declined 10 interviews on TV, podcasts, radio shows, et cetera. Um, I was shocked and disappointed. And, and I just felt like there was no unique perspective to share. Like the narrative was really obvious. It was a horrible decision. Um, it was hard to understand and impossible to justify. And so when I, I first saw it live, I leaned over to my wife I said, Juwan's going to get fired. And she said, no way. And, and I said, look, he punched somebody. I haven't seen anything like that since Woody Hayes. And then when I saw it on super slow-mo, um, I was relieved and it looked like a slap in the face or a grab and, and I immediately changed my stance. Um, but really, the reason I didn't say anything, there's, there's, there's no opinion for reasonable people. It, it was a huge mistake. The punishment seemed clear. And, and then I, am, I think there's a lot of interesting talking points, though, um, that, that we can go through and maybe make some, some sense of this and, and also create some optimism for the future that, that this could be a real learning lesson and a positive.
1: Well, uh, no question there was frustration from the game. I mean, it, it's just talking about the basketball part of it, the actual game piece of it. It was like we've seen so often with this team, I mean, they have a game where there is a coherent offensive game or or outing, and then the next game they can't string it together, even if the offense is generating good looks, which was the case against Wisconsin. They got good looks. They just couldn't throw it in the ocean. Now, the end of the game happens as we go through this sequence, and I want your basketball – I mean, you've been in the game your whole life, Tim. You've been in a a, a thousand situations, I'm sure, where you lost a game and maybe someone on the other side did something you didn't like Maybe they violated that, that basketball, the unwritten rules. I wonder if you felt any of that at the end of this game with the timeout from, from Wisconsin because clearly it rubbed Jawan the wrong way to the point where after the game, he gets out of the handshake line because coaches normally lead it, as you know. He gets out of the handshake line. He goes to the back of the line and decides, okay, I'm going to go through the line. And then he's going to do the blow-by with Greg Gard, but he pulls the mask down and he says, I'm going to remember that and was going to keep walking. And Gard grabs him. And I guess he wants to explain. I don't know if he wants to explain or scold or give, a, give some sort of comeback that he wanted Juwan to be present for, but that set things off even more. And then, of course, we saw the chronology of events from there.
0: Yeah, so, so a lot to unpack there. First off, you could see Juwan walk away and Greg Gard should have known that he poked the sleeping bear. And and I'm, what I would have liked to have seen is for Greg to walk down to the end of the bench and put out his hand and just, you know, offer an apology. Because I, I think that Greg knew what he did wrong. Um, and, and I know exactly why he did it. Several years ago, I, I was asked to speak to Wisconsin's basketball team. So I flew to Madison and I spent a day. I watched them practice. I spent time with the guys. Bo Ryan was the head coach. And they talked about turnovers the whole practice. They talked about turnovers after practice. That is part of their culture, their DNA. They love to keep their turnovers low. And I I think it's kind of ridiculous in a situation like that that you call a timeout to keep one less turnover off your total. Remember, I told you this right after it happened, Sam. Mm -hmm. Wisconsin leads the nation in the fewest turnovers. That's something they take great pride in, and and they put that over everything else. Um, I also want to share a little bit about the the end-of-game decorum, and and I hate the idea of just dribbling out the clock and um, being afraid to rub it in, uh, making somebody feel worse that they've gotten blown out, you should have played better basketball and you wouldn't have blown out that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but, but one thing that I learned when I was playing with the Knicks, it was my last year, my knee was shot. I wasn't, you know, wasn't really in the rotation. And at the end of the game, Pat Riley put me in for like 45 seconds. And I was so mad. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to go in during garbage time, but I did. And they, they, you know, they, they dribbled the clock out. And so I thought it was humiliating. And I I don't think there's any walk-on or or 12th man that wants to go out there and play for 45 seconds or whatever the number is and just stand there while somebody dribbles the clock out. That's embarrassing. So I hate the idea of worrying about, you know, what the score is or trying to save a timeout. You know, the guys practice to be able to play. So let them play out that 40 seconds. Let them shoot. What, What does it matter? Um, if you lose by fifteen or seventeen or whatever it is, I hate that part of it too. Um, but you know, when when I think about what else happened, Sam, um, w- one of the things I really enjoy about the Top One Hundred Camp is I oversee the coaching program. It's an internship for NBA players who want to become coaches. So I, I've been involved in this for a long time, and I've learned about the role of assistant coaches. The first one. Is that you know you support your head coach at all times. Like you, you don't lobby for other jobs. You don't lobby for promotion. Like you just one hundred percent support your head coach. And the second thing is during games, your job is to, to, to watch your coach and keep him out of harm's way. Um, if he's yelling at an official, you, you you jump in the middle and you pull away and protect him. Um, and in cer- certain situations, like in that game, at the end, as soon as Greg Gard and Juwan Hauer went nose-to-nose nose and they touched each other, two assistant coaches should have grabbed Juwan, put him in a bear hug, protected him, and dragged him away. If you have to tackle him, tackle him. But do not let him get in that position. And and I think that that's a part of the story that was was really ignored, is that I think that, that the coaches let Juwan down by not getting him out of there.
1: You know, I think you're right. I look, uh Phil in his meeting with the media Tuesday, I want to say it was, he sort of recapped or recounted the meeting that Ward had with the team on Monday. Uh and he scolded everyone. He said, This is on everyone in this room, everyone on this roster played a role in what happened. And I think his point clearly Juwan's the most at fault for, for throwing the blow. But his point was to your what you were saying, you have your head coach's back. If you're an assistant, players, everyone has a role in de-escalating the situation, and clearly, that wasn't done in, in this instance as well as it should have been done. No, no doubt. Now, I said after the game, I felt like like you. You lose a game, you don't want somebody to run it up on you. Stop them. I, I've always felt like that. Do I feel like the timeout was uh, kind of a you said it was about keeping the turnovers down, the stat that they are trying to keep uh, pristine. Maybe so, Tim. Which is I,
0: stupid, which is a stupid thing to do. Right. It, right. Like, what's it matter?
1: Yeah, what, what, yeah. Is it, what does it matter, especially when I do I do think it's like, okay, putting a little salt in the wound. Maybe he didn't like that, Juwan, that, that they were still extending their pressure full court. Maybe he didn't like that. For whatever reason, that timeout was called. And I understand why Jawan felt a certain kind of way about it. I felt like yeah, that's a little bush league. Do I think it's fight worthy? No. And I don't think Juwan was ready to fight about it. But like I see a million times in a million uh, in all these sports, something happens during the game. You don't like it. After the game, you say something to that player or you say something to that coach. A Million times you see coaches say a, a little a little message. And in this instance, that should have been it. It should. Hey, I'll remember that. You know what Greg Guard should have said? I think, okay, yeah, Juwan, remember that. Remember the scoreboard. Remember the scoreboard too. That that that's all it should have been. Guard shouldn't have grabbed him. Don't he, no. he? He's already upset. You he feels like you disrespected him. Don't compound the disrespect by grabbing me. I, it, I, that just defies logic to me that you would do that and think that it's okay. Now. That does not justify what happened after that, where it seems like things are de-escalated. It seems like things are calming down. And then Krabenhoff comes in there like a bat out of hell, you know, inflaming the situation. Again, I don't know what he said. I do know he put his hands on Terrence, and that seemed to set Jawan off. And to your point, he did start with a closed fist, opened it up. Fortunately for him, that moment of clarity to open his hand, I think, was was something that Kept the situation, a bad situation, from being even worse. But I, to me, I don't have any problem with with coaches after game having a little message to the other guy, and letting that be it. These coaches, though, took it to a level that it never should get to, which brings about the question that a lot of people are asking: Tim, do you think there's still a place for post game handshake? What do you? What's your take on the post game decorum? You know, in general.
0: No, I, 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 think that the post game handshake should happen, and, and I mean it's a, it's a good opportunity to just, you know, to, to see some people that you know, um, congratulate your opponent, you know, uh, get a little bit mad because you didn't play very well. Um, I, I see no problem with it, and look, there, there, are, there are other issues like Joe Krabenhoff, that he was that kind of player, right? And and so something should have happened to him because, yeah. as an assistant coach, he should not have been in there. Um, Greg Gard would not have called a timeout if Michigan played Wisconsin in ten days. I, I can promise you that. Um, and then the, the most troubling thing is, like to 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 actually you know raise your hand and throw a punch or a slap. Like I I don't get that, so it's hard for me to comment on it. Um, you know, I played played four years of college, played 10 years in the NBA. At no point was I ever going to get so mad that I would lose my cool and throw a punch. Um, I had two circumstances. One, I got into it with Rick Mahorn,
1: um,
0: <laughs> where, where we both were bear hugs and we threw each other on the floor. And I had another one with Charles Barkley. And at, I, I promise you this, at no point was I going to throw a punch because... <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody, but I don't want to get me hurt too. And 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 so, like that, just it's hard for me to understand why a punch gets thrown in any circumstance. But the other thing, is, as as a leader and as a head coach, I am, um, I think that ended as well as it could have because I'm scared to death. I mean, Musa knew what he was doing. Like like he threw a man's punch. And I'm I'm glad nobody was at the end of that because that's a that's a career defining play potentially. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that somebody didn't lose their mind and really hurt somebody because changed the narrative in so many different ways. So um, i I do feel good about the fact that we're moving on and we've got some positive things to talk about and and some hope for the future.
1: Yeah, yeah, you you understand uh, Musa's suspension. I, I and to close out, I really. Don't un- Terrence is, is the one between Krabenhoff not getting anything. Yeah. Krabenhoff not getting anything to me was was ridiculous. But I mean, what can you really say if you're Michigan and your your coach threw a punch? You don't you don't really have uh, a leg to stand on to complain about that. But I I, I think I would have complained about Terrence because because Terrence he got tackled by one coach and then he got punched by a player and then, then after that that's when he threw after he got tackled and punched then he throws a a punch. Hell, he really is. That guy really was protecting himself. I thought that was I thought that that was out of place, you know that he that okay. he got the same punishment. so uh, but water under the bridge now, how was this team going to respond? you know you you had the adversity, the self-inflicted adversity from the Wisconsin loss. You also had the fact that this Rutgers team that they just played sort of if you remember that game, They didn't blow Michigan out, but they sort of imposed their will. And there was a post-game handshake line deal in that Rutgers game where I think maybe it was Ron Harper Jr. kind of got into, I think it was Caleb's face, and Musa kind of defended them a little bit. So they kind of felt like, at least to me from the outside looking in, Rutgers kind of felt like, yeah, they were in Michigan's head a little bit. They tried to in this game. And I was really impressed With how this team responded last night, Tim, that that was a team that was focused on the task at hand and and played some of the most coherent basketball that I've seen them play on both ends of the floor.
0: Yeah, You're you're so right. And beating Rutgers was massively important on a lot of different levels. NCAA wise, Rutgers is an excellent team. They're tough. They're physical, they've got vets, they, they defend, they're well coached. They they've beaten everybody in the Big Ten that you'd want to. I mean, their resume is as impressive with the, the top teams they've knocked off. So number one is a very good potential win against an NCAA team. Um, the other thing that I was really encouraged with, Sam, is that Michigan's players sent the message that they love their coach. You know, if Michigan loses. Yesterday, and they don't get to the NCAA, and they struggle down the stretch. All the heat is going to be on Juwan, um, you know. But the team was focused. They played a full forty-minute game. Um, there, there was no stretch where I thought, you know, they're losing it here. Here, here we go again. Um, they they just played really solid basketball. I've always loved Phil Martelli's demeanor on the sideline. I, I broadcast probably ten of his games at St. Joe's, and he's one of the best. He combines calmness with intellect with a great ability to communicate with referees and players he was fantastic and and i love the fact that after the game he deflected all all praise from him to howard inside like that's totally who he is um i thought that, that caleb was great he was the star of the game and we've discussed it over and over um it, He's uh, he's a power forward, Sam. He he can develop into a small forward as he gets more athletic and with time, but but he is a power forward, and he knew he's going to be out there. And I like the matchups, and I think that when Caleb Houston's making threes, Michigan is ten to fifteen percent better as a team, and they're hard to beat.
1: Yeah, for me in this contest, uh. It's, uh, so there was a game within the game for, for him. He struggled at Rutgers, and we've seen him struggle on the road. But that was different, and I feel like him in particular, they were, go- they were going at him a little bit, and that was definitely the case uh, after the game. The way he came out in this contest set the tone the rest of the way. He comes out, he gets a block on one end. On the other end, he doesn't settle for a jumper. He attacks the rim, Euro step, and finish. You saw the side pick and roll with Hunter. So he was delivering the bat. He was so dialed in in every aspect of the game, and the other things, the things other than shooting. Now, look, maybe it's just the case that he just shoots it better at home, Tim. But I, I gotta believe that how dialed in he was everywhere else helped him as a shooter in this game as well. Think about how he came out in the second half. He, uh, he, he had the hesitation dribble to the rim and got fouled. Remember that? That, that aggression. You know, not settling for jumpers, it made the shots that he did, did take from the perimeter that much better. And I just feel like his his approach throughout the game and in other aspects of the game helped in his shooting. I wonder what you think with, about that.
0: No, it, it, and it makes sense because when he's chasing small forwards and big guards around, it takes its toll. Uh, I, and I also think that, like so many guys, that when you make shots your defense gets better. You, you just play with much more confidence. Um, he's a really good player and he's got a great future. And like so many freshmen, you know, we're, we're judging him based on what he should be or what prognosticators have said. You know, he had a rough summer last year with the U19 team for Canada. Um, he, he didn't shoot the ball that great, but you can see the potential and, and, you know, you can also tell when his shot is going in based on his pre-work. He, he, he stands up a little bit too high when he shoots sometimes. And, and you've seen it. There's some haywire shots that, that are not even close when he doesn't follow his pre-work. But when he gets half of a second to catch it and to get a look and just go into his normal routine, the guy just doesn't miss a lot. And I thought that the, the, there was the 11-0 run last night, but he made two big threes in a row that that really propelled the team. That was that was of massive importance.
1: Yeah. He, he obviously shot well for three. I think his final stat line was five for nine from, from distance. Obviously led the team in scoring. They didn't shoot well from three as a team, though. But they shot, I thought they shot pretty decent from the perimeter. Why am I drawing the distinction? Because the lost art of the mid-range game, Tim, I mean, I, I'm sure you as a vet, as an old-school guy, I wonder if it pains you how little the in-between game, how little attention it gets from today's guys. But Devontae Jones and Eli Brooks were excellent in their in-between game. They didn't hit from three, but they certainly hit from the free throw line. In man, the one-leg runners, a hook shot, a dribble, dribble into traffic and out and turn and hit a mid-range jumper. Those two guys got it done, not from three-point land, but from but from the mid-range last night.
0: There, there are two NBA players I love to watch. They're two of my favorite players: Demar Derozan at the Bulls, Tyler Hero of the Miami Heat. I, I, I love their mid-range game, and because so many defenses are are protecting the rim and covering the three-point line, that the best shot right now is not a force three with a hand in your face. It's it's two dribbles, jump stop, and a floater or a mid-range jump shot, and and I'm I'm hopeful. That 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 both Eli and Devontae you know, learned something last night. That that's available. They can get it all the time, and and I thought that th- there have been way too many games in which those guys are out there launching threes because that's what the analytics say is the money ball. But but the truth is the the money ball is the easiest shot that you can get, and and so I, I'd love to see them get there. I, I think that Kobe Buck can, is going to be a really good player once he figures out his shot selection to be able to attack that. I call it the, the kill zone. The, mm-hmm. the kill zone is that that little circle right, right in the heart of the lane because there's nobody there. And if you get there, I mean you can basically throw it up and the chance of it bouncing in because you're straight on, you've got the backboard of it's a little bit long. Like that's that's the money ball, not not contested three.
1: Oh no, yeah, analytics says give people that that shot, and it makes it. Michigan does. I mean, drop coverage is a, a big part of their of their ball screen coverage plan because team guys just don't practice that. But if you have it, no. man, it's it's so. Event- I remember you know watch Cliff Amari come out. I can't remember if it was Devontae or or Eli, and he dropped that. And it was almost like,
0: man, this is this is like a free throw. <laughs> I mean. There's no one around. Yeah. Every everybody used to love Antoine Jobert's three-point shooting, but I, I thought he had such an underrated mid-range game. You know, just, just get there a soft little touch. And the nice thing is that it's almost a pass because if if Cliff goes to block that shot, there's nobody boxing out Hunter. Mm-hmm. And so your chances of either making the shot. Or getting an offensive rebound and are really good.
1: Yeah, so it was a and, and let's not poo poo. I know you aren't, but I'm talking about to the to the viewers. Look, this Rutgers team was playing well. Yes, they were coming in off a loss, but that's on the road at Purdue. A lot of people are gonna lose at Purdue. But before that, they had beaten a ranked Michigan State before Michigan State went on this tailspin. So it was Michigan State. They won at Wisconsin. That was the game where I sort of switched my player of the year pick from from Johnny Davis to to uh to to Ivy, uh, that was that was the game that sort of did it. Johnny Davis obviously still been playing well, uh, other than that game. But they they beat Michigan State at the rack. They go on the road and they beat uh and they beat Wisconsin and they also beat Illinois and they beat Ohio State. The four ranked and, teams in a row. And
0: and they're and they're going to beat Wisconsin this weekend. Okay. <laughs> Mark it down. Okay, got it down. it down. So so my point is. This is good Rutgers team that Michigan
1: just beat last night. Yeah, I know you know that, Tim. I wonder if, if others, if, if the fans have an appreciation for what Michigan accomplished last night.
0: Well, Mulcahy is one of the best players. that Really, nobody that that, that just kind of pass- passively follows the Big Ten knows about. Like, he's just so smart. He runs the offense. And Gio Baker is playing with great freedom. And Ron Harper uh, is a pro. And and has has become um, one of those guys that that is hard for Hunter to play against. Um, Cliff had seventeen points. That, that that's a, a really good center. So I don't love their depth, and there's there's times that they struggle offensively. But if if you would have asked me before the game who wins Michigan Rutgers, I would have flipped a coin. I I mean I was not that confident. And Michigan played an A plus. Game. I'm, I'm not saying they don't mis- make mistakes. Everybody does, but but they started the game and they played the whole game with purpose. They played the way they were supposed to, and and Juwan wasn't there, but but you know his spirit was because they played exactly how he wants them to play.
1: Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. And it, it reminds me, uh, you know, a team that they were down a couple of players, they're down their leader, and they go out had a spirited effort and they won. Sort of took me back to remember coming off the pause. They they play at Illinois without without Hunter and they without Hunter and I think uh, Brandon Johns too. If I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to remember if, if Brandon played in that game or not. But I know they were without Hunter in that game, and it was it was a game. They didn't shoot it well, Tim, but they they played Illinois tough. That was they had a lead in the second half at one point. It was a you know a, a two or three point game uh, late and really in the last four minutes of the game, behind Trent Frazier trying kind of going off down the stretch, they really pulled it up, pulled away, and you know made that sixty eight to fifty three margin really in the last four minutes. But they played that Illinois team tough, and so I wonder what you expect this time around with Illinois coming to Chrysler. I
0: think Michigan will win. I feel really good about that game. Trent Frazier and Andre Corbello um, are are going to be on some of the All Big Ten teams. They're they're just really talented guards that know how to play. Uh, Hunter is going to be an incredible matchup inside, and Kofi Coburn is an All American. And Illinois wins the Big Ten, and he deserves to be Big Ten Player of the Year. So. You know, there's plenty of star power in this game, but but I think once again that our guards have to be able to match Frazier and Corbello. Th- those are the catalysts, those four guys. Whoever has a, a, a better matchup is going to lead his team to victory.
1: Yeah, when you look at Hunter physically, I I, I just, I, I think he was in the weight room thinking about matching up with Kofi Kovar. I mean, I, I really pro- I'm probably exaggerating here, but I mean, is the the muscle mass that he added? I don't know who else he needs that much mass to to match up with in the leagues. you know, Edie maybe? but hell, it, to me, this is about this matchup. And I think it's a as much as as Kofi Coburn is a tough cover for anyone because he's so strong. You look at Hunter's evolution as a player. I really think this is a game where Kofi Coburn is going to be taxed on the on the defensive end of the floor away from the basket. Tim. I, that's one of the things that I'm really going to watch is, will he extend and, and cover Hunter beyond a three-point line? Because Hunter has shown, uh, uh, obviously, an ability to hit, hit the three. But this is a guy I think he can turn and face on uh, as well. So it, it makes the matchup that much more intriguing. A matchup that you think is all about brute strength? I think is going to have a little bit of finesse to it in this uh, in this contest, at least on on the offensive end of the floor for Hunter.
0: Who's the best center in the Big Ten? We'll find out Sunday. That's what this is. And Illinois does not want Kofi to step outside and cover. And so I think that 15-foot jump shot is going to be wide open for Hunter Dickinson. And, and if, if he knocks a few down, then Kofi will have to leave the basket And that's not the way Illinois plays. Illinois' guards, if you watch them closely, they gamble. They they go for steals. They extend their D. They cover the three-point line hard because Kofi's behind me. He's got my back. Well, if he's not back there protecting the rim, there's opportunities to get to the rim, and, and that's where Michigan can really do some work.
1: Yeah, and my last one on this, so I, I saw a little bit of the Rutgers-Illinois game, as we just talked about earlier. Rutgers beat them. Kofi did what Kofi does. I think he went. He must have had 20, 21 points in that game, but no one else did squat. It was almost like, yeah, Kofi's going to do his thing, but we aren't going to let the rest of you guys beat us. It was It seemed like the game plan. I'm not around Steve Peichel to know. This is how it looked. On the floor, and it was effective in that game, Tim, and it just made me. I thought about that as you made your point about their guards and the, and the other guys. Can can you make those other guys? You lock those other guys down and keep them from beating you. That might wind up being the story of this game. Yeah,
0: I am. Um, I'm excited for that, but I'm excited for all these games. And, and Michigan is in a really good position, and they're they're playing their best ball right now. I think they're very confident. They will get an enthusiasm infusion from, from Williams and Diabate. They'll feel whole, and, and they're going to step on the court expecting to win. Um, Sam, I, I first of all, I love your background. I, I'm in a hotel today, so I wasn't able to match you. I'm, I'm traveling, but um, very, very impressive. You love your maize and blue. And, and I, I spent a lot of time thinking about Juwan last night. You know, that must have been so hard for him to be sitting in his home just watching something, you know, a product that he's put his passion, his heart, his soul into and not be able to impact it. So I, I, I feel really sad that he's got to go through this. But I think in his evolution, this can be a really good thing for him. And I wanted to throw this out. Um, as he watches Phil Martelli, I think that there's some things that that Juwan, who as a player, you know, when he went up against Olajuwon or or someone like that, he he walked away and and picked a couple of tricks up from that experience. I think that he can watch Phil Martelli and how subtle Phil works the referees. Um, He is a master at, you know, little subtle jabs and, you know, pointing out some obvious things. and. And, and along the way, kind of like Tom Izzo, where he just keeps getting these calls and it makes you mad. And I feel like Juwan has been almost like a pitcher in baseball that has a fastball, but not much off speed, doesn't have a slider or a curveball. Like Juwan gets mad and he gets teed up immediately, right? <laughs> well, he,
1: you know what he's probably saying? Izzo gets mad; he doesn't get teed up immediately. Yeah. I mean, he got teed up the other yeah. night, but man, Izzo's on the floor talking to these guys.
0: Yeah. Yes, Izzo get gets just as mad, but he pulls it back. He he knows how far to go before he gets teed up. And Matt Painter's that way, and Fran, and and uh, I, I think Chris Holtman's that way. You've got to work the refs, you know, slow agitation, and and along the way. You might have to get that T, but along the way you're gonna get three or four others. And and I don't know the number, but it seems like Juwan must have double digit technical fouls this year. And it seems like they they were happening more frequently. So I, I I would encourage Juwan to watch Phil because he's pretty darn good at working the referees and, and getting the favor and his advantage. I, I don't know, have you noticed that? What do you think?
1: Well, I I guess I'd have to watch Phil a little more. I haven't I haven't watched Phil coach games enough to form an opinion uh, about his approach. I, I look I, I, I see different coaches approach it differently. I can sense the frustration from Juwan. He's he's not getting the veteran he's getting he's getting called like a rig if you want if you want to liken it to being a player. Which I I just heard you do, you know, him taking some things from Elijah. Juan. Jawan wasn't getting calls as a rookie, right? Now, rookies don't get calls. You're in the game a while, you get the respect from the refs. They start to give you a little more leeway. So I guess for me, from the outside looking in, what I would say is you might have to you might you're gonna have to deal with it for now. You could I don't know if he needs to change his approach as much as it is. You gotta understand, you aren't gonna get that call right now. You might not get it next year, but you're around for a little bit. Maybe you'll be able to be Izzo. So t- to your point, maybe you turn you tone it down for now and gradually work your way up to the to the theatrics that we see from Tom Izzo, who by the way got teed up. The other day, and said, "Oh yeah, they were they were upset. I, the refs were sensitive because of what happened in the Michigan Wisconsin game it was like seriously,
0: uh, <laughs> seriously, hey, dude. Sam, here, here's here's why it's important. It's March. We're basically in March, okay? And there's so much at stake. And Michigan is going to play a one point game at yeah. some point, or they're going to play a game that's going to overtime, and so." The technical foul that you get in the first half doesn't seem like a lot. But free throws make a difference. And and so if you're not careful, you're going to turn a potential win into a loss. And you can't do that this time of year.
1: No doubt. Great stuff, Tim. So you got the Wolverines winning against Illinois. I was looking for four and three down the stretch in this these seven games, starting with Iowa. They're two and one so far. You get this Illinois game. And Phil mentioned this when I talked to him. He said, yeah, we shoot better at home. He said, aren't the next three games at home, Sam? Illinois, Michigan State, <laughs> Iowa? I said, okay. Okay, yeah. so we'll see. Yeah. We'll see because one thing in closing, Tim, one thing this team hasn't done in a pretty long time is put together back-to-back solid offensive efforts. It's been a good, a good effort, poor effort. Good effort, poor effort. That's how it's been for weeks now this is an opportunity to string a few back-to-back, especially with those games being home. So we'll see if they're able to do it.
0: Yeah, proud of our guys. Great to see you, Sam. Good stuff.
1: Great stuff as always, Tim. Folks, appreciate you listening to this. If you like this podcast, if you like this video, be sure to like it. Be sure to subscribe to the Michigan Insider YouTube page. If you're listening to us on the podcast, be sure to uh, subscribe, tell all your friends about it. They can find it wherever they get their podcast: Google Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. You can find the Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, folks, thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider.